have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. Well, I'm Reverend Kojo, and I know it's been a long time, but we're going to dive back into this study on Revelation. Now, last time we were together, we had gone through the seven letters of the seven churches, and I, it, I, it is my opinion that um, it is imperative that Christians are aware of what the seven letters of the seven churches say, and that we can just tune in to what everything else says and, and be entertained by it. Because if you can make sure that you are a part of the Church of Philadelphia and not any of those other churches, uh, you can guarantee that you'll, you'll be fine. But I think it is imperative that a Christian knows what the Bible does say um, um, so that you're not included in the tribulation period. Now, so I am... Um, uh, before we move on to chapter four, and we'll move on to chapter four next time, I actually found out, after, I, I, I listened to a study probably a couple of years ago by Chuck Misler, and what he's, he, he, he taught me something that kind of amazed me, and I'm, we're going to walk through uh, Matthew 13 according to the seven letters in the seven churches, and, and they parallel strikingly so. It is, it's amazing how well they parallel. And, you know, but I, I say it here, I say it when I preach, I say it when I teach other places, that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Um, I've read good commentaries. I like to hear various preachers preach. I like to read. I read a new book, new, a few new books every week, uh, many of which help me understand this word, this Bible a little bit better. But the best commentary on the word of God, uh, unparalleled, is the word of God. It, it is amazing how... This book of uh, over 40 authors and 66 chapters, how it is a interconnected message system that ratifies itself, never contradicts itself. And what I've learned is if you think it contradicts itself, you haven't looked deep enough. And I love how it it, it begins themes and the themes carry themselves out to, until completion. And you may think that it, it contradicts itself because they don't talk about it again in Genesis, but you didn't come back to the New Testament and see how it was revisited. You didn't understand something that was concealed in the Old Testament, but it revealed itself in the New Testament. There were uh, ideas and ideologies that didn't make a whole lot of sense other than under the Old Testament that make sense in the New Testament. There are things that happen during Jesus' walk on earth that come and they are uh, pulled out in the revelation. And so I, I'm always amazed at how the Bible tends to ratify itself without needing other things. Now, in order to get that kind of revelation, you need two things. You have to be an, a student of the Bible. I mean, you have to really, really scrub these things out. You have to be like the Jews from Berea in, um, in, in Acts 
Um, you got to really search these, this Bible down. And, but the more, what's amazing to me is the more that I learn about the Bible, the more that I see how God is so crafty. Um, when I came to understand the tabernacle, I, I became, I came to understand the blood at the cross more. When I came to understand Revelation, I began again began I began to understand many other portions of the Bible more. When I be, when I began to understand uh, some of a lot of the things that happened in Exodus and Leviticus, I was able to understand why what happened in the New Testament was necessary and why each account was recorded and how it ratified and justified so many other things. And so that's why studying the Bible is so important. That's why it's so important that we. Uh, take the time to be students of this word, to study, us, to show ourselves approved, to sit up under somebody to teach. And then if God has equipped you with the gift to teach, to teach it to somebody else. Uh, because this is probably the most beautiful um, collection of work. I mean, the Bible, you know, it's poetry, it's history, it is prophecy, it is feel good, it's instruction. It, 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 it helps just about every area of your life. And so when we take the time to sit back and to look at it, it's one of those things that it is absolutely positively amazing if you'll let it be. Okay. So, uh, let's, let's, let's start. We're going to jump in at Matthew 13. And I know that this is supposed to be a revelation study, but I promise you, we're going to touch on revelation as we touch on Matthew 13. And you're going to be absolutely blown away how the Bible ratifies itself. Now, because you think about it, I, I think about the Bible in three big sections. Um, you have the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Old Testament. You have the New Testament. Uh, so that's Jesus walking on earth. And then right after him walking on earth, the disciples spreading the word of God. And then you have the revelation. So the revelation is what we are yet to have experienced. It is the, like the third section of humanity. We, you know, some of the things, of course, we are, we are living through and we're watching those things unfold. But most of the, most of all that was prophecy from that day. So when I think of the Bible in three main sections, what I love is that each section speaks to the same issues, just in different language and in different ways. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to tie, we're going to reach back into Jesus's day as Jesus was teaching on the earth. And we'll see how God revealed such things to John and John probably didn't even realize it. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Matthew 13 is where we are. We're still talking in the vein of revelation, in the vein of prophecy, in the vein of the seven, seven, seven letters of the seven churches. But I just want to show you how the Bible interweaves itself. It, it absolutely amazes me. So we're in Matthew 13, verse 1. We find this. Uh, da -da. On the same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the sea, and the great multitudes were gathered together to him. And so that he sat, got in the boat and he sat, and the whole multitude stood, multitude stood on the shore. Then he, he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places. Where they did not, they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because there was no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell amongst thorns, and some sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded him a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, hold up just a second. I want you to rewind real quick. We spent all this time talking about the seven letters of seven churches. 
what was that? That was like seven or eight weeks we spent. Cause I think I did an introduction to revelation and then we did seven letters, seven churches after every letter, every letter, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And here we are. And Jesus is speaking. We're in Matthew 13, but he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And so we can already begin to pull from that before we even dive into the parallelism or maybe we are diving into the parallelism that even though John is the one writing in revelation, Jesus is the one speaking. Now you, you know, that, that sounds a little spooky because Jesus has already been resurrected. He is already risen. How could Jesus be the one speaking if Jesus is not on earth? And you know, that's why we're going to, we're going to get somewhere. And, and, and I want to, I want to go ahead and go to the middle of this chapter first. I want to go to chapter 34 and I want to make sure that we understand something because there is one sin that is unpardonable. And, you know, that didn't sit well with me uh, for a while until I came to understand it. And when I came to understand it, it, it shook me, it changed me, it made me understand some things. But so, but we, but but we, we were holding fast to this idea that even though Jesus has been resurrected, he is the one that's speaking. Okay. Uh, John, John is on the island of Patmos in Revelation, um, but we see this direct parallelism uh, that Jesus says here in Matthew 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But then we see that theme repeat itself all throughout the seven letters of the seven churches. So verse 34 in Matthew 13, we find these words, he says, and these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the worlds. Okay. So here we are, you know, this idea that I'm talking about that the Bible gratifies itself, that many things that they didn't understand the why is being revealed in Jesus is being, and the things that they didn't understand in when Jesus came, that's being revealed in the revelation. And, and, and it's the Bible and this life is becoming this open book that's slowly being on un, being unearthed and we're moving through the chapters of this life. And it's becoming clearer and clearer what the purpose is and the why is. But then Matthew 12, the chapter here before us, it talks about this unpardonable sin. Uh, it says in verse 31, Matthew 12, verse 31, it says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven, men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven of him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven of him, either in this age or the age to come. So essentially what he's saying here is he's saying, he's saying, look, if you don't believe me, that's fine. But don't don't take away from this power that you see, these these clear signs that you're seeing. And so when people say that God didn't write the Bible, or the Bible could not be God breathed, that men wrote the Bible or or that men, if this is men's understanding. He's saying that this is blasphemy. If you deny the fact that Jesus Christ could be speaking and he's not on earth, it's blasphemy. You are blaspheming the spirit of God. You are taking away the, the fact that he exists in one more than one realm than the other, that he is not a God who is confined to uh, the three uh Places we, we, you know, we're spiritual, we're soul level, and we're physical. He's not confined to just those three things that we're confined to. He has an existence that's much bigger, it's much greater, it's much more profound than what we're we're confined to. They're picking up my trash. 
And so, and so it's, it's, it's amazing to me when we start to look at that, which is also scary when I start to think about people who grew up in church and they have experienced the Holy Spirit and now they're saying they don't believe. And to me, the unpardonable sin is a hard one to understand because, well, it's a hard one for me to understand somebody who commits it. So you experience the Holy Spirit heal you. This is an example. And you felt him and he held you. And then you wake up one morning and say that I don't believe in him anymore because he did not come through for me. And see, this sin really comes out of selfishness because often when God is not our genie in a box, then we'd say that as a punishment to him, we're not going to worship him. We won't serve him. We won't believe in him as if he is. He does not have the power. But the truth is, is that in his omnipotence, he is omniscient. And so often he does not tend to our beck and call for our our best interests. And when we run away, it, it hurts nobody but ourselves. And so we, we, we started there with this unpardonable sin, but I want to work back up to the beginning. Okay. Um, I'm going to work back up to the beginning. So we have the parable of the sow. So I read it. I read it to you. The sow went out to sow. Uh, and then he, he, he was the, the seed was being sown on various different places. Okay. And as the seed was being sown on, on various different places, the scripture actually gives us an explanation. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is who received the seed, the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he who has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when the tribulation or the persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some 60 and some 30. So, you know, if you all can reach back to the account that we talked about in uh, Revelation 2, when we talked about the church of Ephesus, church of Ephesus, their big problem is that it was not that they didn't receive the word or that they didn't understand what God was telling his people. It, it wasn't that they did not defend the word, that they did not try to keep the, the principles of Jesus. It was that they forgot to love. They forgot Jesus. They forgot to worship. And so they were going through the motions so here, the, this, this parallel happens here because these people received the word with readiness of her heart. They protected it and they defended it to death. They were so stuck on making sure that the word was in good soil. Now, they did have their issue. They did forget <laughs> to not only hold what Christ said, but to look like Christ. But... On the good tip, this is this is what they this is what's the good the good things about them, right? So let's move on. The parable of the wheat and the tares, verse 24, and it says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. 
So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then to go and to gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the, at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So check this out. Y'all remember Smyrna? Smyrna was a suffering church. Smyrna, God, he didn't say anything bad about him. Smyrna was a suffering church. But Smyrna was the church that was in the middle of a place where they were being persecuted. They couldn't find, they, they, the situation wasn't good and God did not promise that it would get better. He did not promise them that they had hope coming. He said, just hang in there. And if you'll hang in there for a little while, everything will be all right. Okay. Just hang in there. Hang in there. It gets better. Hang in there. It's going to get bad. Don't, don't blaspheme my name. Don't walk away from me. Just hang in there. And so the problem here is you remember the weed and the tares, the weed and the tares. Uh, he said, let them grow together. So you're sitting around in a town, in a church, and hell is breaking loose. <laughs> hell is breaking loose. I mean, folks are living any kind of way. He said, grow up, be good, do what you're supposed to do, do well in my sight. And as long as you'll do well in my sight, everything will be fine. As long as you do well in my sight. You know, Smyrna was a suffering church. And so there's not always a promise to be delivered. And so, you know, I like the weed in the terrace and, 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 I, and I like the weed in the terrace. I like it for another reason, you know. We can look, we look at um, how this passage uh, parallels to, um, how this passage parallels to Revelation. But one of the other things that I liked about this passage is that, you know, sometimes you do have to go through some things. Sometimes you do have to endure some things. Sometimes things are ugly and you have to experience them in the fullness of the chaos that they are. But one of the things that I absolutely love about the weed and the tares is that we often get upset when God starts removing folks from us because they're familiar. And as God starts removing folks from us we, uh, because they're familiar, we get upset and we get hurt. We can't understand why would you take them away? This was the best relationship I've ever had. This was, I love this person. I needed this person. We wanted to walk together. But one of the things about the weed and the tares that I absolutely love is that when he pulled up the weed and the tares, you could see who was kin to you. You could see who God had created for you, you know, who like was in likeness of you. Everybody around you that has been there forever was not designed to stay a while. Everybody's not like you. Just because y'all came from the same place doesn't mean that y'all have the same mechanism or you were created the same or that you have the same purpose. And often we'll be around people who are eating our nutrients and they're killing us and we'll think that they're friendly and we will walk. And presume that they are good for us because they've been around until they're gone. And then you have ability to eat. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. And you know, the weed and the tares, if you want to read more about it, it's continued in verse 36 uh, through 43. Because it says, then Jesus sent them all to the way and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weed and the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the world, 
The good seed is the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will be sent out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be a wailing and a gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears, let him hear what the king, the, what the, hear. Uh, the, he, yeah. he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, so, you know, essentially he's saying, hang in there. It's going to get better. And then at the end of the day, I promise at the end, you'll be able to shine and it'll be all right. But you're going to have to endure some stuff. I'm not going to take the thorn away. I'm not going to take the chaos away. I'm not going to take the misery away. Since I'm not going to take the misery away, I'm just going to have to trust that you are. You're just going to have to trust that I'm God and that I'm going to do what I say that I'll do. Okay. Now, then we have the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, verse 31 in, in Matthew 13, he says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. And when it is grown greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and it nests in its branches. Oh, excuse me. Now, what's interesting is that most people preach that it grows into something great and wonderful and that the birds perch there. But here's the deal: is that in Israel, in yeah, in Israel, there are these beautiful bushes. They're mustard bushes, okay. Mustard bushes only grow about three feet high, and birds don't typically perch in low things because birds fly high. So a bird that flies high, why would it perch in a bush? It could just walk. Birds perch in trees. So if there are birds in 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 uh in these bushes, these are ministers of Satan, perhaps, you know, the, you know, these, these are things that are trying to devour the people, devour the things that are lowly because it is not characteristic of a bird to, to be high unless he's trying to find something to eat down low. Okay. Like worms, you know? And so, and so sometimes we misconstrue this chapter or we misconstrue this, this parable because the, we want to, we want to find the good. We want to preach the folk happy, but really what it's telling us is, is that they're perching in bushes, not trees. And since they're perching in bushes and not trees, the branches that is perching in are low, trying to devour the flock, devour the people. And see, and the scary part is that if you're looking for entrance, instruments of Satan around you is often we don't have to overlook the pulpit. And I say that as a licensed and ordained preacher, there are often a lot of preachers who are not in it for the right thing, who are not, not around, not preaching for the right reasons. And, and, and so what they become is, I hate to say this, but they become ministers of Satan. They, they have become devourers because they've been consumed by the things of the flesh, the pride that comes along with it, the ability to go corrupt and to fall and to be a hot mess. And so because of this, they have become like the church at Pergamos. You remember the church at Pergamos? 
they were being turned away and the church is now kind of marrying the world and the people that are leading them, they're calling it Christianity, but it doesn't look like Christ. They're beginning to uh, compromise on some stuff and, and the church has now become the world. The church is becoming the, the state religion, which we would say is a good thing, but, but in, in its becoming a state religion, it's becoming commercialized as it becomes commercialized. It has to become, uh, palatable as it becomes palatable. More and more stuff is allowed and you allow the people to get freer and freer, uh, but not in a good way. And it's just a hot, hot mess. Then we have the parable of the leaven. Parable of leaven is, is verse 33. And it says another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was leaven. Now here's the deal. Most people preach this. They preach this, that the church is like leaven to unify the whole world. You know, because you, you know, leaven makes stuff rise. It's like yeast, you know, in, and in our Christianity or Gentile way, Leaven is a good thing. We love some bread. You know, we like to say bread of heaven and, and we like to bring that in. He's the bread of heaven. He's, he feeds our bellies. He's like the yeast, the good stuff. But in order to understand this, that Jesus was Jewish <laughs> and uh, leaven is not kosher. As a matter of fact, he's a king of the Jews and he was very orthodox. And when he was talking to these people, he was talking to, to, to the disciples who were also Jews that followed Jesus. Jew, Jew, I mean, leaven to the Jew, leaven is a type of sin and it's always a type of sin. It's always a model for sin. Whenever you see leaven in the Bible, it's not a good thing. Leaven is sin. <laughs> uh, it is, it is a model or an illustration of sin. And so as a Christian reading this text, we'll miss it because we like yeast, <laughs> you know, we, we like bread, you know, that when they say he was the bread of heaven, he was flatbread. <laughs> he, he was not, he wasn't biscuits and rolls. And so when we talk about him being, um, there being leaven among the ranks, Jew, it's, it's a type of sin. And that's why communion bread is so weird and it's flat because it's unleavened, it's void of sin. And that's why when we, oh God, when we look back at the body of Christ and we look at the, um, it, his body was without sin. And that's why they do unleavened bread for communion and for Passover. It is without sin. The, the, the lambs and we're going to go back old Testament. I told you it touches everywhere. When you go back old Testament, we know that there was no sin in the lamb, that the lamb was supposed to be without spot or blemish. And when Jesus came, he was the lamb of God. And so when we ate up the body and drank of the cup, the bread that symbolized his body was unleavened because it was without sin. So when we understand that leaven is always a model of sin, then we understand that the leaven that is that comes in the body that is that is in the kingdom of heaven, which a woman took three lessons of, of uh, meal that was leaven. We know this is a bad thing. This is not a good thing. This is not a who let's let's encourage the people with the text because that means sin has come around our ranks. But I also think that speaks to us because as the Christian, we don't realize that because we're not Jewish and we don't have to follow Jewish rules. And I think that that ties in perfectly because a lot of times because we're Christian and we don't know Jewish rules and we haven't studied the Hebrew or the Hebrew ways and the Hebrew culture, we don't understand that the leaven will come amongst our rakes and we won't even recognize it. Kind of like this passage, you know, we will we'll misinterpret it and hope and, and have this expectation or this thought that uh, that the leaven is a good thing. 
And it's kind of like our churches, sometimes our churches, new things happen. And so I love, Lord, and, and let me understand me right. I love progressive church. I don't like old Mount Moaning church. <laughs> um, but what I, what I do also realize is sometimes we'll bring in new things in the church and we will not realize that it's leaven or that it allows us to become leaven and that it brings sin along or it promotes sin or it allows sin. And we say, oh, this is a good thing. It's so progressive. And we hold on to it and we presume that it is a good thing. So, um, but I also want you to notice something uh, that they, that here in this parable that she gave three measure of meal, which is the classic fellowship offering. That goes all the way back to Genesis 18 with Abraham has Sarah prepare three measure of meal and it was to be unleavened without sin. Something was proper was introduced that didn't it didn't, it didn't involve um, leaven. Now you know the fellowship offering Genesis eighteen that's that's Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels come to visit he goes and gets the the fellowship offering. Um, and actually, as a matter of fact, there's like a fellowship offering that still happens in the Middle East now. You know they are really really big on how they treat their people. Um, but that, that's, that's a classic fellowship offering. So now what I want you to notice, because this is where it gets interesting and it gets kind of deep to me is that they give the fellowship offering. Now, you know, we, we, I'm Baptist. We do the right hand of fellowship. Fellowship is really the purpose of church. And since fellowship is really the purpose of church, since we should live lives of worship and we should read our Bibles daily, sure, we come and we hear a word from um, our pastor or our preacher uh, that makes sure that we, we are understanding appropriately. Um, I think it's, it's so important that we realize and that we understand that, uh, that this fellowship offering and this leavened bread often we will allow things in our fellowship of Christians, our churches, our circles, and they go unchecked. Now, here's the where it gets hairy. Because this parable and this particular church, the issue was they allowed sin in. Do you remember Ephesus, their problem was not that they let sin in, but that they, they forgot to love people. So in your Christian walk, one of the things that you have to do is find the tango or walk the tightrope of not being a champion of sin or not being a champion of allowing things to enter your fellowship without not allowing, without ostracizing the person. Because in Ephesus, they ostracize the people, put the people out, get that mess out of my church. But while in, this is what I believe to be Thyatira, in Thyatira, they allowed the folks in, but they didn't have a standard. There wasn't a level uh, that they wanted to hold people to. And since there wasn't a level that they wanted to hold people to, it created the antithesis of the problem that they had in Ephesus. And so this is what will happen in your churches, and I hope that you take this and you use this. If you, if you love people too much, but you don't address the sin or you don't introduce them to the Holy Spirit. What you'll have is a church full of people who love, uh, but they are doing love the wrong way. And what I mean by that, because love is always prefaced by commitment. Love is one of those things that it's not love unless it will enter into your entire experience. 
And so what will happen if you're here in Thyatira or you're in the parable of the leaven is that you will be calling something love, but it won't be love. You'll be accepting people, but not loving them. And see, acceptance and love are not the same thing. I may not have a problem with what you do, but love takes you and since it's prefaced by commitment and says, hey, baby, let's work on this together. I'm going to walk this through with you. I see that you're struggling with something. I see that you need prayer. I see that you don't know how to get out of this. I see that you don't need help. Let me show you how to get out of this situation. Let me show you how to get through this situation. And see, that's one of the main tenets of church is that not only do we love people with the love of Jesus Christ, love them until they change, love them until they clean up, but it is also when they don't know how to get clean or how to come into the presence of God that we hold their hand until they get comfortable there. Okay. So that's that's my little uh, my, my, my thing. We've already gone through this preamble of sorts. Let's go to verse 36. In verse 36, we find... Um, the parable of the tares, well, we did that too. Let's go to verse 44. Verse 44, and it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in the field, which a man found and hid, and for joy of it, it goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, a lot of people will preach this passage, and they will preach this idea that you should sell all that you give, have and give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sell everything. You don't need to have rich. You don't need to have wealth. You don't know. Put, sell all of that. And this is one of the texts that they will use to teach that idea. Now, here's the deal, right? That's not quite what the parable is saying. The parable is saying the field is the world, okay? The field is the world. Christ is doing the buying, okay? Now, we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about this, the seven, the book of the seven seals. The book of the seven seals that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks is the receipt Okay, we are the treasure. Okay, did you catch that? Did you catch that? It maybe it'll make a little bit more sense when I do Revelation four and five. But I want you to understand is that it, the the kingdom of heaven is like a field. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, bought the earth. Okay, when he bought the earth, he he the receipt he got is the book with the seven seals. In in a couple of weeks. Well, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to deal with that book of seven seals. What does it mean? Why is it important? And we're going to we're going to dig deep onto the why, the how, the who and the what. Right. But but I want you to understand there was a receipt for the earth. He made the purchase when he bought your sin debt, when he bought your chaos, when he bought your mess. And so I, I get excited because we're the treasure. We're the treasure. Yeah, that's exciting because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And so when he made the, he bought the field just for me. <laughs> it's awesome. He bought the field just for me. That, oh man, that's, that's so exciting to me. Ah, that's so exciting to me. But how do I know? Okay. Other than the fact that I'm going to teach Revelation 4 and 5, what I also know is that Malachi 3.16 kind of prefaces this that. Now, you remember I began this podcast telling you all about how um, I, I began this podcast talking about all about how 
Um, these the I break the Bible down into three sections in my mind. You got Old Testament, New Testament, and Revelation, and how they all interweave into each other and justify and ratify each other. And since they all weave into each other, justify and ratify each other, it it absolutely amazes me because in Malachi, Old Testament now, Malachi we see. Uh, verse 16, Malachi 3, 16, it says, then the Lord, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for all those who fear the world, the word, the Lord and the, who meditate on his name and they shall all, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts on the day that I make them my jewels. Oh, jewels sounds like a treasure to me, right? And I will spare them. Ooh. And I will spare his own son who serves him. Who, who does that sound like? <laughs> and then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In other words, I'm going to buy the earth. This is, this is old Testament. So I'm going to buy the earth. And when I buy the earth, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it for my jewels. And then there's going to be a receipt. Like he said, in verse 16, which we will see here in, in verses in chapters four and five, there's going to be a receipt for my folks. And, and, and I'm going to write the names down. I would do this for my people because I love them. And he said between them. And if you'll serve me, you are my, my jewels. I, I need you to understand this. And I know I'm really excited. And I sound a lot like a preacher, but you know, I, I am who I am. But I, I, I say this because, because a lot of times we will miss what he's saying here. Now, this, this proves my whole point, how I, the, those three sections weave and bob through one another, okay? Because you have, you have this, this Malachi account, Old Testament, Malachi's account, prophecy. Jesus comes, he walks the earth, he dies on an old rugged cross, Hey, you know, he, he, when he dies on the cross, um, the earthquakes, the rocks split open, the, the twain of the, t- of the tabernacle in the tabernacle split wide open, the um, temple split wide open. And now we have access. So he buys the entire earth. He gets the title deed to the earth. Why does he do it? Because there's, there are some jewels, some precious jewels. There's a you, there's a me on the earth that he wants to make sure he can reconcile back to himself. Okay. Now, do you remember? Here we go. Do you remember? We have, um, oh man, this is awesome. This is good. This is good. This is good. I'm, I'm excited. But do you remember? We had Thyatira. We had Pergamos. Um, here we have. A new, uh, another church. We can tie this church right back in, okay? And as we tie this church right back in, there's hope. There's hope. <laughs> there's hope. You know that. I think that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. Like I, when I think about this gospel. It's one of those things where, you know, I could follow other religions. Okay. I could follow other religions. You know, we could do that. It could be a thing. I could follow other religions. But the truth of the matter is, I don't want to. I want a savior. And, you know, that's the other thing is that these other religions don't have a savior. I want a savior that would have come if... It would have just been me. 
if I would have been the most screwed up person on the face of the earth, I want a savior who would have come just for me, just for me. He bought a whole earth for a few of us. He bought a whole earth for a few of us. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. He bought a whole earth for a few of us. Wow. Wow. But see, this one, this one relates right back to Sardis. Okay. Sardis was the dead church. Sardis was the church that had forgotten that they still had stuff to do. Okay. <laughs> you know, they were, oh, we're content. We believe, we believe, we believe. But here's the thing. Is it he said there was a treasure hidden in the field. Now, I love this because, again, it's got multiple levels of meaning. I love this because there are still treasures hidden in the field. And the Great Commission tells us that we have to go out in the field and find the treasure. We were the treasure. And that's what I love. We were the treasure. And then once we were the treasure, he said, go find some more. There are some more out here who need this word. There are some more. You're not done. There's still work to be done. Just because you got saved and delivered from your mess, it doesn't mean that he's done. There's somebody else for you to go tell. This is, y'all, I, mm, this is why I love the word. This is why. Because when, who, when it comes out, when we can understand the picture that he's painted I'm always amazed. I'm always amazed how the Bible ratifies itself and how it has multiple meanings, how we can find various lessons in the same story over and over and over and over again. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on because we have a couple of more churches to talk about or parables. Um, then it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking, seeking beautiful pearls who... When he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and, and bought it. Okay. So, you know, again, this this idea that you gotta um you gotta buy it. It's not you doing the buying. Okay, let's let's understand that. It's not you about doing the buying. But I also want you to remember remember Jesus was Jewish. He's talking to Jewish disciples, talking to Jewish people, okay. And when he's talking to Jewish people, I need you to understand that oysters are not kosher. <laughs> I love oysters, and I'm grateful I was born a Christian and not a Jew. But um, oysters are not kosher. But I also want you to notice this, is that the only jewel that is produced by a living organism that is response to irritation that grows from accretion, okay? It's the only jewel. Think about it. Think about it. Think of diamonds. It's a rock. Okay, diamonds are rock that, yeah, you got to go shake it around and make it become shiny. It's a rock. Diamond lives in an organism. It's a response to an irritation that grows from an accretion. Okay, I need you to understand that. It's removed from its place of growth and it's worn as an adornment. Okay, come on, come on, come on. I need you to help me. I need you to understand. Understand here. Okay, so it's a jewel. 
It's a jewel that's removed from its place of growth and worn as an adornment. Okay, remember, Philadelphia was the only church promised not to have to go through the tribulation. Philadelphia was the only church that he didn't promise to suffer something. Okay, Philadelphia is born... Produced by a living organism. It's in the middle of chaos. It's a response to irritation. They're in a place where the folk are not living right. They're not acting right. And it grows from accretion. You got to understand. He's, he, they're the only ones promised not to enter the tribulation. They're going through hell where we see them, but he has nothing bad to say about them. It's going to be okay. I'm going to rapture you up out of here. Don't worry about it. Okay? And so they're living in irritation. They're living in chaos, but they're going to be removed from the irritation and they'll be something worth more than money. That's awesome. Church in Philadelphia, the perfect church. Or, you know, the perfect church. You must ask God. The perfect church. Be removed from their place of growth and they'll be worn as an adornment. They'll be a prize. They'll be, they, that's the church you want to be a part of. You know, forget about all this, all these lights and stuff. <laughs> Go through some stuff so that when you come out, you can be an adornment. Ah, love. That's awesome. Okay. Anyway, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragon that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. When it was full, they drew to the shore and they sat and gathered good vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, have you understood these things? <laughs> and they say, yes, Lord. Okay, so it's dragnet, cast in the sea and gathered up sometime. In other words, there are a lot of folks that are in, in, in good standing here with God at this age. He said, have you understood all of these things? And he said, yeah, these people didn't get it because we've been preaching it wrong for years. <laughs> they didn't get it. And if they get get it, wow, we're just slow. <laughs> but 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 this church that they're talking about, this parable of the dragon is Laodicea. You know, he said that he would spit them out of their mouths because they were so backwards. And since they were so backwards, he said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm sick of this. Like, get out of get out of my face. Choose this day who you'll serve. And so, in other words, which one is full? They drew to the shore and they sat down and gathered in the good into vessels and they threw the bad away. In other words, your lukewarmness can't stay. Which, you know, that kind of confuses me a little bit. Uh, if I'm going to be completely honest. Because there are obviously things that I don't know which side to pick. 
There are obviously things that I just want to understand and I don't get it. I'm still working out, still trying to figure it out. But really what he's saying is that you can't ride the fence. You're going to be hot or cold. You're going to choose Christ or not. Who are you going to follow? Don't sit here and try to read your zodiac mm. and read the scriptures. They don't work. Don't try to burn sage and take communion. Don't do that. What he's saying, <laughs> choose this day. Who are you going to serve? Make up in your mind. Because if you're lukewarm, you can get thrown away. You can be thrown away. And so I, let's, let's do this. Let's go to verse 53. And it said, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, it, is, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Jose and Simon and Judas? His sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. Mm. But Jesus said to them, a prophet, a prophet is not without honor in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many works there. Because of their unbelief. Remember unbelief, unbelief, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one of those things that is unforgivable. Now, I want to, I want to draw this. I want you to understand this. Now, the New Testament has 21 or 28 epistles, depending on how you want to think about it. Epistles, letters. 13 of these are ascribed to Paul uh, and probably Hebrews. You know, that's up for debate. Some people think Luke. Some people think he um, think Paul. Others think John. Habakkuk uh, 2.4 sets up a background for a trilogy, okay? Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just must live by faith, okay? Who are the just? We see that in Romans, okay? Who can be justified by faith, okay? Who is living? Galatians, okay? We, we know in Galatians, we can see who are living. We know that Hebrews teaches us all about faith. So the just shall live by faith. All right, just, Romans, who is living? Galatians, who's, who can be justified, right? Um, what is faith? Uh, Hebrews. Now, let's check this out. Setting Hebrews aside, there are three doubles, 10 addresses, three are pastors, so Paul wrote seven letters to seven churches. Now let's look at this. I want you to see the parallelism. I want to see how awesome this is. Um, you know, I think the Bible is it's just amazing me how it ratifies itself. You don't it doesn't have to be ratified. We don't have to ratify it because it ratifies itself. But I want you to notice this. Notice this. You know, uh Ephesus, Ephesus, um, Ephesus obviously obviously Ephesians, okay? Smyrna. Uh, the Philippian church had joy through suffering. That's what we see all through there, you know, peace and all that stuff. They say you learn how to suffer with, suffer well. Pergamos, Corinthians, the worldly church, they were always getting in trouble, right? Thyatira, Galatians, they call you out of ex ex externalism, okay? Sardis, Romans, you are not done. There's still work to be done, right? Uh, Philadelphia, Thessalonians, the perfect picture. They were picture perfect. You know, we don't see here a whole lot of bad about Thessalon Thessalonica. And then Leia's Laodicea <laughs> was like Colossians. Now, there are six Greek terms only in Revelations and Colossians. 
and they were actually suburbs of each other. So Laodicea and Coloss were right there together. So I, I find it amazing. Y'all think about, did you notice that? So not only do we see parallelism from Matthew 13 to Revelation, the seven letters of the seven churches, but we see a direct parallelism to the seven letters, of the, so the seven churches that Paul writes. Okay. I'm amazed. <laughs> I can't speak for you, but I'm, I'm amazed. I, when I think about what he continues to, to do, but it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. So the gospel of John has seven miracles, seven discourses, and seven I am statements. And they're chronicled out of chronology to mirror, to mirror the history of Israel. Okay. Now I want you to see this. Do you remember when I was teaching the seven letters to the seven churches, how I told you that the seven churches, we can run them according to church history. Okay. Did y'all catch that? Now I want you to also notice that Paul wasn't mystical, but he was more pragmatic, but yet he still writes seven letters to seven churches and he writes seven letters to seven churches before John gets revelation. Okay. This, the, oh man, I, I'm so amazing. Let's look at Thessalonians uh, 4.15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by, be, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the angel, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive will remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Let's go to Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall rise, awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. And for, uh, and for the dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the, de the, the dead. Come, my people, into your chamber. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will also disclose their blood and will no more be slain. I, I want to encourage you. A lot of this is a lot, a lot of information. And, and Revelation is one of those things that it can be heavy and it can be scary. But if you are living for Jesus Christ and you are trying to love people and you're trying to hold this godly standard in your life and you're, you're, you're really seeking the face of God, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Now, and that's why I, I say all of that, you know, I say all of that to say this. He's coming, y'all. <laughs> He's coming. I, I make the joke all the time that um, Jesus must be putting on his shoes because of the way the times are. And since the way that the times are, Jesus, I, to me, he got to be getting dressed. He got to be putting on his coat and putting on his towel. It's, he got to be getting ready. But I, I, I find comfort in John 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. So, you know, we've just concluded the seven letters of the seven churches. And here's the deal, y'all. We have a template to make sure that we are all right. You got salvation, you're going to go to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I'm trying to get raptured out of here. I ain't trying to see this mess that's on the way that we're going to start talking about next week. So that was the seven letters of the seven churches. 
as compared to Matthew 13, as compared to Paul's seven letters and seven churches, as compared to John 777, I think the Bible is clear through 40 authors and through a whole host of folks that his plan is real. This has been Bible School with Reverend Coach. Y'all be